Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangustine, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look at China taking the crown from Japan as the world's largest car exporter. And we'll also look at the latest foreign acquisition by domestic car maker Geely. And a hint for everybody, uh, James Bond might like this one. So we'll start off with car exports. New data is showing China passed a major milestone in the first quarter of this year by officially speeding past Japan to become the world's largest car exporter. More specifically, China exported just over a million cars during the quarter versus about 950,000 for Japan. China moved into the car exporting fast lane by shipping 58% more vehicles abroad in the quarter than last year. So Renee, what's driving this recent explosion in China's car exports? Um, no puns intended there. Well, it can be explosion because most of the ones that they're exporting <laughs> are electric vehicles. <laughs> oh, touche. This, um, this being said, uh, you know, I think this this has been expected uh, for some time. The uh, you know just the sheer number of Chinese car manufacturers, with a lot of them pushing to grow overseas because they can't really grow as much domestically. So this was expected, not a surprise. Obviously, a lot of those cars are electric vehicles and very clearly China there has a huge advantage over Japan. Uh, most Japanese car manufacturers have been slow in producing electric vehicles or converting their traditional IC cars into uh, EVs. They've been good selectively here and there, you know, Toyota and Prius uh, being a, a, as a hybrid car have done pretty well on the export front, but but it's just one model. The uh, Nissan, you know, started many years ago producing a car called Leaf, which was fully electric, but after that they did not really uh, move very quickly to go across their whole model spectrum, if you want. Uh, generally speaking, the car manufacturers in Japan have been slow adapting. Some of them, if not all of them, have invested in hydrogen. Um, so it's been different strategic pursuits, if you want, when it comes to EV. So I think you combine these two things, and I think it starts explaining what has happened. A little caveat, though, Japanese manufacturers, car manufacturers, have been um, producing cars in, uh, you know, many countries around the world for a long, long time. Hmm. So if you look at the U.S., for instance, Honda, Toyota, Nissan have had, you know, manufacturing plants in the U.S. for, uh, you know, more than a decade, I think in some cases even two decades. And therefore, that uh, I don't think these volumes have ever counted as export from Japan. Obviously. Right. So uh, there, there's, I think there's a bit of of um, a difference there. I'm not aware of any Chinese car manufacturers producing at least meaningful numbers of cars outside of China. 
So uh, whatever they sell overseas would obviously come as part of export numbers. Okay, that's a good point. So going back to the new energy cars, because that's sort of what's on everybody's mind, and, and certainly China has, has really become a, a global leader in them. You know, but that said, other countries, especially the U.S. and and I would say even Europe, are are you know starting to realize the importance of not letting China dominate this important market and several others actually. And now they're providing all kinds of incentives to try and and build up their own industries. You know, if you look at it from that perspective, how do you see this sort of playing out? in terms of the global car market, say, in the, the next 20 years? Is, is China going to be able to really maintain this kind of a, an exporting edge? Well, if you look at 20 years, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to tell. So many things will happen. Foreign exchange rates have a tendency to change very, fairly often, for one. Um, the, um, so that obviously influence costs. EV, uh, new energy in general policies in a lot of countries around the world have been evolving very quickly over the last year, year and a half. And uh, overall, you mentioned Europe and the US. Very clearly, those two are not about to let China do to the EV market what it did to the solar panel market. Right. There's a very strong political will uh, in both places to make sure that that does not happen. And in addition to that, it, it kind of, you know, uh, jives with the uh, uh, more recent effort to diversify supply chain, uh, to not decouple necessarily, but de-risk <laughs> the way that the way that Europeans call it, and even the uh, U.S. administration now uh, seem to prefer that term over decoupling. Yes. But um, yeah, I think that you're going to continue to see a big effort in, uh, in Europe, in the U.S., to make sure that they build viable, sustainable EV manufacturing capabilities. Hmm. That's not going to go away. It has started, it comes with all kinds of stuff in terms of um, subsidies and all of that. There's a lot of, you know, complaints from uh, different countries around the world about what the U.S. has done. But eventually, they're all going to come to terms with it. And uh, you'll see, you know, don't, let's not forget that uh, Europe has a few, Germany in particular, you know, pretty powerful car manufacturers who seem to finally have caught the uh, EV bug uh, and are investing uh, massively in bringing their entire product line uh, to the EV technology. Same thing, uh, same thing in the US. And um, I was listening earlier today to Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford Motor, um, who basically is investing massive amounts of money in uh, creating, you know, a pretty extensive line of um, EV models, cars and trucks and so on. GM is doing the same thing. Then there's Tesla, obviously, hmm. uh, not to mention that even Stellantis, who is 
kind of Italian slash American uh, has got into the act. So I don't think China is going to be able to do to the EV sector what they did with the solar panel sector. Okay. I imagine this uh, export edge that they've got right now, if we look at it from a longer term perspective, might be uh, a little more fleeting, or at least it's not, not at all clear that you know they'll be able to maintain such a high level of export. Well, some of it obviously will have to do with price consideration, and uh, they're probably still today uh, capable of producing more cheaply than certainly the US and even Europe. Mm, that's true not to mention Japan. So I think that they will retain that uh, that advantage for a while. But overall, an EV car is much more simple to manufacture, to operate, to maintain than, than its, you know, ICE uh, equivalent. Right. Um, and, uh, and therefore, costs are going to come down uh, with volume for everybody. You know, in the U.S., Elon Musk has doubted a um, a cheaper Tesla model that would sell somewhere between twenty and twenty-five thousand U.S. dollars, which hmm. is which is about fifteen thousand dollars cheaper than his cheaper car today in the market. So there, there's a clear trend there in terms of decreasing cost, and uh, at some point in time, I think China will lose that advantage. But it it's not going to happen very quickly and definitely not overnight. Right, right, right. Okay, well, let's let's move on uh, to a, a more niche car area, which is uh, we'll take a look at this uh, acquisition that I mentioned earlier by by Geely, which is one of China's big uh, car makers. Geely already has a number of foreign brands, uh, including Volvo and and British sports car maker Lotus. And now Geely's taken a further drive into sports cars by boosting its stake in the renowned but struggling Aston Martin, which a lot of people know is uh, associated with the James Bond franchise. Specifically, Geely is paying 234 million pounds, or around $290 million, to boost its stake in Aston Martin to 17% after it first acquired 7.6% of the sports car maker last year. So any any guesses as to why Geely's interested in this brand? Um, the company's founder, Li Shufu, certainly seems to have an interest in big name but struggling British car makers. Uh, he previously bought Lotus and he also bought a company called the uh, London Taxi Company, which is better known as the manufacturer of the iconic London black cabs. Any thoughts on this one? What's driving it? Well... Yeah, I think that the, that the second question would be why isn't anybody else interested in uh, buying Aston Martin? Because, as you rightly pointed out, when when you look at its history, it's an iconic brand, and not just because of the James Bond franchise, but but even aside from that, the quality of the cars and so on. There's there's a Formula One aspect attached to it. Um, which was not always the case, which was the case historically, didn't do particularly well. But if you look at the past two years, and this year in particular, Aston Martin Formula One is performing extremely well and and quite unexpectedly, uh, actually. Uh, So that has an additional aura 
But I mean, look, this being said, Aston Martin is no Ferrari <laughs> in terms of uh, you know glorious past as a sports car or whatever. Um, so I'm surprised. On one hand, I'm surprised that nobody else has taken any interest in it, which I think does us something. Um, you know, when you look at the, at history, especially in Europe, about car manufacturers and so on, uh, both BMW and Volkswagen for a number of years acquired a bunch of uh, British brands. Um, you know, BMW got Rolls-Royce and Mini, um, Volkswagen got Bentley. Um, and, uh, and, and they've turned these cars actually in, in, you know, into pretty good successes hmm. in terms of, uh, volumes and reputation and, and, and brand power. Then you look at Geely. I mean, first of all, yes, they've increased their ownership, but they're still at 17% only. Right. If you go back a bit in history, Geely acquired a hundred percent. Of Volvo and Volvo uh, from uh, actually Ford Motor. There was a time when Ford Motor tried to build a, a stable of high end products. So they acquired Volvo, they acquired Jaguar, they acquired Land Rover, and so on. And then the global financial crisis hit and uh, they were struggling. And they got rid of all of those brands one by one. Geely stepped in, bought 100% of Volvo. And it has done pretty well. Volvo at the time was starved for cash. They had not really been invested a lot in new products and so on. Geely came in, true capital edit. They did two things well, I think. One, they true capital edit and it allowed Volvo to start investing in, you know, upgrading its its uh, products and so on. They also allowed uh, the uh, European management, Swedish mostly, to actually continue to run the company, which which is, uh, I think, fairly unusual on the part of Chinese companies acquiring foreign assets. And um, you know, their CEO, the CEO of Volvo, was in the job for. I think a little over 10 years, he stepped down about, I think, a year, year and a half ago, was replaced by another European who had been at Dyson earlier. Um, so they seem to have let Volvo basically be managed more like a global company as opposed to imposing Chinese management on top of it. Hmm. But they threw money at it. The money obviously was used pretty well and Volvo started to do much better. They eventually spun off Polestar or their process of spinning off Polestar, which is the EV, the newer EV business in the Volvo group. Then, you know, you look at what is happening with Aston Martin. Number one, it's a historical good brand, visible very clearly. Two, it has been obviously tough for cash and has not invested enough. Three, it has the aura, at least, of uh, its current performance in Formula One, and hopefully they will continue to do well there. Four, they need to move into EV 
at a faster pace for fear of being left behind. You know, you look at their competition, even Ferrari has moved much, much quicker into EVs. Um, so they need to do that. I think that the Geely has an opportunity here to somewhat, even though they don't own 100%, play a similar book to what happened with Volvo, invest, uh, put capital in it, invest in product development, help with EV transition. And by the way, that's what they've been doing with Lotus. Lotus is now coming with their first EV car, uh, which obviously is the result of uh, Geely's investment and involvement. So I think that we're probably looking at, at something similar happening here hmm. at Aston Martin going forward. Okay. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see uh, see see what happens in the next James Bond movie if he's still driving Aston Martin. An EV one, uh, for good measure. That's right, an EV <laughs> with the little Geely Geely logo on it somewhere too. But very clearly, I mean, look. In conclusion, very clearly, Geely has a good track record of post acquisition of uh, these uh, European brands, actually all Europeans. Um, so, you know, we should expect that barring any major problem with the other shareholders, um, that this will play out well as well. It's a niche mm -hmm. product, though, and I think, you know, Geely obviously can help with marketing and selling the cars in, in China, but it, it, it's still going to be, I think, overall a niche product compared to uh, lots of other cars. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. Well, everybody, uh, thanks for listening again this week. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us next week for another edition of China Inc. when we'll look once more at the latest trending China business topics. Hope to see you all then. Goodbye for now. Thank you all. Goodbye.